0: This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 27, the real St. Francis of Assisi. Most people know St. Francis based on a couple of things. The image of him as a lover of nature, perhaps even the really caricatured version of that in the film Brother-Son, Sister Moon in the 70s. They know the prayer of St. Francis, which might come as a surprise to some, he didn't actually write. It's really no more than a century old. The last thing people think about St. Francis is that he was a saint in the same mold as other medieval saints. In fact, like all other saints, a great lover of the liturgy, one who contemplated above all the passion of Christ and tried to conform himself to that passion in the Eucharistic sacrifice. One who loved poverty not because he thought a simple lifestyle was liberating, but because he wanted to imitate the absolute poverty of Christ, who humbled himself to take on our human nature. One who truly believed in the reality of judgment, and always had it on his mind, and always encouraged his brothers and all to think about the life to come. He loved creation, and as we all should, saw God's divine wisdom in all the things he has created. That's what we're called to do. But as a saint who many take as their patron because they think nature is their church, to St. Francis, church was his church. So we'll look at things he actually wrote, unlike the prayer of St. Francis, and certainly unlike the banal hymn that bears the name, the prayer of St. Francis, and see what St. Francis was really like. I don't need to go too much into his biography because most people are aware of the main details of that, but just to sum up, He was born into a pretty wealthy family. His father was a cloth merchant. Francis, whose given name was Giovanni, John, but went by Francesco, because his parents loved France, and Francesco just means Frenchman. He was quite the partier. He really lived it up. He was always well-liked, well-loved, but he was kind of given to a life of dissolution, as he himself admits. But he always had great aspirations. He wanted to be a soldier and win honor that way, and that didn't work out. He ended up imprisoned. Then he, again, wanted to win honor by going on one of the Crusades to the Holy Land. But he was prevented there as well. And then he had an encounter with a leper. And by an act of God's grace, St. Francis embraced the leper, even though he was repulsed by him, and felt great peace and joy having done so. And then realized shortly thereafter that this was probably an angel or Christ himself. So Francis began a life of prayer and began to pray in a crumbling church, Church of San Damiano. And while praying, the crucifix there told him to rebuild the church. Christ on the cross told Francis to rebuild his church. So Francis took that very literally and began to rebuild the crumbling church. But soon thereafter, he realized that what Christ meant was to rebuild the church universal, to be a reminder to the church of the humility and the poverty of Christ and to re-enkindle the flame of charity in the heart of the church once again. And so this is when francis gave away all his possessions to his father's great shame and began to live in absolute poverty living a life of joyful poverty and being such a clear and vivid sign of the poverty of christ francis began to attract other young men who wanted to live with him in the same way and so with these first followers they lived together a communal life of prayer and also working and asking for alms He then somewhat reluctantly, as the community grew, wrote a rule of life as most founders of religious orders do, although Francis didn't consider himself founding a religious order. He seemed to have been somewhat opposed to that idea, most likely out of humility. But this community, this order was approved by the Pope who had a dream of Francis stabilizing the church. And it was indeed the fact that Francis began to renew the church by his life of poverty, humility, and charity. And again, the main driving force of his own spiritual life was contemplating Christ's passion. This is why he received the stigmata, the wounds of Christ, actual wounds of Christ in his flesh. So that very fact should dispel the idea, the image of Francis as some kind of frolicking hippie. He was deeply, deeply conformed to Christ's passion, like other saints who had also received the stigmata. St. Catherine of Siena, St. Padre Pio. And since the Mass is the representation of Christ's passion, St. Francis and his friars had a great love for the Mass. So St. Francis's life shows what we still hold, and we see in the Catechism that the Mass is the source and summit of the Christian life. That's very much what St. Francis lived. We'll look now at some of his writings to, to get a better insight into who he was. So one of his first letters he wrote to all the faithful, and in part it says, quote, All who love the Lord with their whole heart, their whole soul and mind, and with their strength, and love their neighbor as themselves, and who despise the tendency in their humanity to sin, receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and bring forth from within themselves fruits worthy of true penance. They are the children of the Heavenly Father whose works they do. They are the spouses, brothers, and mothers of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are His spouses when the faithful soul is united by the Holy Spirit with our Lord Jesus Christ. We are brothers when we do the will of the Father who is in heaven. We are mothers when we bear him in our hearts and bodies with divine love and with pure and sincere consciences. And we give birth to him through a holy life, which should enlighten others because of our example. Quote. So here you see his idea of being brothers and sisters is very much being brothers and sisters in Christ by grace. It's not some kind of idea of the universal brotherhood of mankind or an abstract idea like that. It's those who are united by their reception of the Holy Eucharist and by the bond of God's grace, and which leads to a life of penance. He also wrote a letter to governors and rulers, and it says, quote, To all mayors and consuls, magistrates and rulers throughout the world, and to everyone who may receive these letters, Brother Francis, your little and despicable servant in the Lord God, sends his wishes of health and peace to all of you. Pause and reflect, for the day of death is approaching. I beg you, therefore, with all possible respect, not to forget the Lord or turn away from His commandments by reason of the cares and preoccupations of this world. For all those who are oblivious of Him and turn away from His commands are cursed and will be totally forgotten by Him. And when the day of death does come, everything which they think they have will be taken from them. And the wiser and more powerful they may have been in this world, so much greater will be the punishments they endure in hell. So here are very strong words about the duty of those who govern, not some idea of separation of church and state or not bringing your religion into politics, quite the opposite. Your faith ought to consume your whole being and therefore you bring that to all people and you have more of a responsibility to do that when you govern or are a ruler or have care of many peoples. He continues in this same letter. Therefore, I firmly advise you, my lords, to put aside all care and preoccupation and receive with joy the most holy body and the most holy blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in holy remembrance of him. And you should manifest such honor to the Lord among the people entrusted to you that every evening an announcement be made by a town crier or some other signal that praise and thanks may be given by all people to the all powerful Lord God. And if you do not do this, know that you must render an account before the Lord your God, Jesus Christ. On the day of judgment. So again, always mentioning and keeping in mind, keeping before his mind, and trying to keep in the minds of others the day of judgment, not for some morbid reason, but because he was a realist, realizing that we have this life to grow closer to our Lord. Nothing should stand in our way. The preoccupations, the responsibilities of this world should not stand in the way or be obstacles to growing closer to our Lord, because if that's the case, then that day will come without warning and we will suffer the consequences. Francis often wrote about the Holy Eucharist in the Mass and he warns, he exhorts the brothers of his order to have the greatest reverence in the Holy Eucharist and to make sure that the Eucharist is always offered in a worthy manner, in a worthy place, with worthy things. He says, I entreat you more than if it were a question of myself. When it is becoming and it may seem to be expedient, you humbly beseech the clerics to venerate above all the most holy body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and His holy name and written words which sanctify the body. They ought to hold as precious the chalices, corporals, ornaments of the altar, and all that pertain to the sacrifice. And if the most holy body of the Lord be lodged very poorly in any place, let it, according to the command of the church, be placed by them and left in a precious place. And let it be carried with great veneration, and administered to others with discretion, the names also and written words of the Lord, wherever they may be found in unclean places, that them be collected, and they ought to be put in a proper place. And in all the preaching you do, admonish the people concerning penance, and that no one can be saved except he that receives the most sacred body and blood of the Lord. And while it is being sacrificed by the priest on the altar, and it is being carried to any place, Let all the people on bended knees render praise, honor, and glory to the Lord God, living and true. And you shall so announce and preach his praise to all peoples, that at every hour and when the bells are rung, praise and thanks shall always be given to the Almighty God by all the people through the whole earth. So again, these words would surprise many people who have a devotion or like St. Francis because they are stronger words than most bishops and priests preach about the Eucharist nowadays. St. Francis is very vigilant about making sure the holy sacrifice of the Mass is done in a worthy manner, in a worthy place, and the Blessed Sacrament is honored above all. The idea that we have these simple poor churches without precious vessels because poverty is good misses the point. We should humble ourselves and be poor. But we should not dishonor the most precious thing we have in this world, the body and blood of Christ, with unfitting places and unfitting vessels. Even Mother Teresa, who served the poorest to the poor, would make sure that the tabernacle was very fine and that Mass was always celebrated in a worthy manner, and that no expense be spared when it comes to buying a chalice or tabernacle or the ornaments of the altar to honor the Eucharist. We see the same thing in St. John Vianney. He wore a a tattered cassock himself, ate very sparingly, would live on like one potato a week, but still made sure that the vestments and chalices and the church were very, very beautifully decorated. I'll conclude now with some final exhortations from St. Francis to his brothers. Be conscious, O man, of the wondrous state in which the Lord God has placed you. For he created you and formed you to the image of his beloved son according to the body and to his likeness according to the spirit. And yet all the creatures under heaven, each according to its nature, serve, know, and obey their Creator better than you. And even the demons did not crucify Him, but you together with them have crucified Him, and crucify Him even now by delighting in vices and sins. In what then can you glory? For if you were so subtle and wise that you had all knowledge, and knew how to interpret all tongues, and minutely investigate the course of the heavenly bodies, in all these things you could not glory. For one demon knew more about the things of earth than all men together, even if there may have been someone who received from the Lord a special knowledge of the highest wisdom. Likewise, even if you were more handsome and richer than everyone else, and even if you performed wonders such as driving out demons, all these things would be an obstacle to you, and none of them would belong to you, nor could you glory in any of these things. But in this we can glory, in our infirmities and bearing daily the holy cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, let all of us brothers look to the Good Shepherd who suffered the Passion of the Cross to save his sheep. The sheep of the Lord followed him in tribulation and persecution, in insult and hunger, in infirmity and temptation, and in everything else, and they have received everlasting life from the Lord because of these things. Therefore it is a great shame for us, servants of God, that while the saints actually did such things, we wish to receive glory and honor by merely recounting their deeds. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please become a member at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. Also follow on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and give a five-star rating and good review. God bless.